Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Onelen Zinzi, Tabiso Lukoko and Msibudi Makura. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Central African Republic warring factions sign a peace deal and Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe wraps up visit to South Africa. In economics, Zambia Chamber of Commerce criticized government policy and in sports news, South Africa slipped down five places in the latest FIFA World Rankings. The first of the news with Onelin Zinzi. An Egyptian court has sentenced a former provincial governor to four years in jail for violating a law used to jail hundreds of Islamists and secular activists in the last 18 months. Hassan El-Nagar, a former judge, was appointed governor of the Nile Delta province in Shakia in 2012 by Islamist President Mohamed Mursi, who was ousted by the army in mid-2013 following protests. He is considered the highest government official tried under the protest law passed a few months after Mursi's overthrow and outlaws demonstrations without prior police approval. The Kenyan government says the death toll has risen to 152 from last week's terrorist attack on a university campus in Kenya. The Interior Ministry says, however, the number will keep changing until all the bodies are identified and accounted for. Authorities had initially given a figure of 147. Ashabab Somali-based militants stormed the university campus in Garissa, 350 kilometers northeast of Nairobi, seven days ago, gunning down students they identified as Christians. South Africa's Home Affairs Minister Malusi Gigaba has once again assured the diplomatic core of a government's seriousness about combating xenophobia. Gigaba met with ambassadors in the capital Pretoria last night. The meeting follows acts of xenophobic violence in KwaZulu-Natal province after King Goodwill's Relitini's alleged attack for foreigners to go back to their countries for of origin. Gigaba appealed to leaders in the country to stop making careless comments regarding immigrants in the country. Political, religious, traditional community and other leaders in South Africa must desist from making remarks which are reckless and could result in loss. It doesn't matter what drives you at that particular moment. Leaders in our country must refrain from making comments which could result in in loss to the international community must not view South Africa as a xenophobic and Afrophobic country. 
The European Union says it is deeply concerned over the welfare of a Zimbabwean activist, Itai Tsamara, who was abducted exactly a month ago and is still missing. The EU delegation to Zimbabwe says although lawyers obtained a court order forcing police and authorities to search for the activists, no progress has been made. The opposition movement for democratic change says that it holds Mugabe and his government directly responsible for Tsamara's disappearance. The EU has reiterated its call on the government of Zimbabwe to take all necessary measures to find Zamara. Finally, the United States Ambassador to Zambia says his government is determined to continue supporting the government of Zambia in its efforts to promote health care initiatives in that country. Ambassador Eric Schultz says this is the conclusion of his two-day familiarization tour of projects supported by his government in Livingston. Hilda Akekelo has more. Ambassador Schultz said the Zambian government and that of the U.S. have continued to enjoy cordial relationship that has seen them partner in a lot of development issues to uplift the economic standards of the Zambian people. He observed that Zambia is destined to becoming a healthier nation as it has the potential connection in achieving quality health care deliveries across the country. He said the U.S. government has so far given Zambia over $2 billion U.S. dollars for the nation to improve on health promotion issues in the country. Channel African News. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Onele. It is 8.05 Central African time on this Friday, April the 10th, the 100th day of the year 2015, with 265 days left in the year. In our top story, Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe has hit out at those responsible for the June 16 Soweto uprising in 1976 in South Africa. He visited the Hector Peterson Memorial Site and Museum in Orlando West at the end of his his two-day visit to South Africa yesterday. After touring the monument and viewing pictures of the black students who were killed by apartheid police that day, Mugabe was left close to tears. The SABC News crew attempted to interview him, but he pushed away their microphones, saying he didn't want to see a white man. Ndebo Mugobo was there and filed this report. A warm welcome for Africa's elder statesman in Africa's biggest township. Soweto residents lined up the streets to welcome President Robert Mugabe Nissan Toraj. This resident say Mugabe is a true African patriot who worked tirelessly to liberate his people and the oppressed majority in South Africa. It's an honor to have President Mugabe here in Soweto as one of our African leaders because he's not only Zimbabwe's greatest president, but also an inspiration to some young people who dream to become a big person like he is. He's an African giant. I love President Mugabe to provide best education in Zimbabwe, and I like him to help us South Africans to provide the best education that he gives in his country. The Zimbabwean leader concluded his two-day stay in South Africa with a visit to the Hector Peterson Memorial Site in Orlando West. Mugabe was shaken after touring the museum and viewed pictures of the 1976 Soweto uprising that showed black learners brutally killed by the apartheid security forces. 
The 92-year-old leader was touched and visibly angry at the pains that black people had to endure in the hands of the apartheid regime, saying he didn't want to see a white man. Any emotions at all? Being in Soweto? I don't want to see a white man. And his spokesperson, George Charamba, says being in Soweto and visiting historic sites like the Hector Peterson Monument allows President Mugabe an opportunity to get the sense of the struggle of the South African people. If you want to reach or to touch the soul of the South African struggle, it has to be in places like this, which is where the real attraction of the struggle was. Right? And so the president naturally comes here. After all, the tragedy we are depicting here through this museum is a tragedy we, we also have replicated in Zimbabwe. We have our own shimoyos. So for me to come here is, is really to, as it were, insert myself in a history that is extremely akin what we have experienced. And it's only natural that Mugabe has to be here. That report by SABC, SABC's Ndebo Mugobo. At last, the warring factions in the Central African Republic have signed a peace deal in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. The factions are the Christian anti-Balaka rebels and the former Seleka insurgents, comprising mainly Muslims. James Shimanyula has more from Nairobi. Two warring factions in the Central African Republic have finally signed a ceasefire agreement after Kenya mediated between them. The factions, the anti-Balaka Christian rebels and their Muslim counterparts known as Seleka, have been in Nairobi, the Kenyan capital, where they have undergone several stages of mediation before signing the final peace pact. Seleka seized power in March 2013 in the Central African Republic and put Michel Jotodia, the country's first Muslim president, in power. Jotodia stepped down in January 2014 under strong international pressure for his failure to reign in rogue ex-rebels who relentlessly murdered, raped and stole from civilians. In response, the country's largely Christian communities formed anti-Balaka, also known as anti-Machete Vigilante forces, who hunted down Muslims in revenge attacks. Interim President Catherine Sambapanza took power, but her government is not party to the peace process preceding the signing of the ceasefire agreement in Nairobi. Speaking shortly, after both sides signed the agreement in the Kenyan capital Nairobi, Kenyan President this is only a first step. There are still many miles to go. My passionate appeal to all of you is that the spirit that you have built here in Nairobi should continue through to the Bangui Forum and you should maintain the same brotherly spirit that you have maintained here in Nairobi. I am convinced if this spirit continues, there is no doubt that peace can be achieved and prosperity begin to be found for the people of the Central African Republic. But Kenyatta had a timely cautionary note to the people of the Central African Republic and the leaders of the two factions. Peace is not something that makes everybody happy. There are many who prosper from the misery of others. There will be many who will try and bring back divisions amongst you for their own interest. As leaders of the people of the Central African Republic, you must never forget and you must always be guided by the fact that your principal interest is the well-being, first and foremost, of the people of the Central African Republic. Do not let others come and put poison and spoil you for their own interests, for their own ambitions, for their own prosperity 
at the expense of your own people. Adding his voice to remarks made by President Kenyatta, his deputy William Ruto reflected on the complicated process of ensuring that the peace pact was signed. The task of bringing the warring factions in Central Africa Republic was not only daunting, but it looked impossible. That is because many attempts for many years to resolve the crisis in Central Africa Republic had been made, but it hadn't succeeded to the extent of bringing the combatants together. And the former Kenya parliamentary speaker, Kenneth Marende, who played the role of chief mediator, spoke of the importance of three vital documents that were signed to bring permanent peace to the Central African Republic. As far as the, the mediation team is concerned, the three documents, if fully implemented, will provide a resolution that is sustainable to the Central African Republic uh, conflict. We have made it clear to the parties that implementation is a matter that is within their choice, just as much as their destiny is. And we have said to them that they indeed must be prepared to be masters of their fate. And I did say to these delegates that destiny is a matter of choice, not chance. And so they must choose to reclaim their country. I think that position has uh, been clearly understood. Kenya's former parliamentary speaker, Kenneth Marende, chief mediator between two warring factions in the Central African Republic who signed a peace agreement here in the Kenyan capital Nairobi. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. The statue of British colonialist Cecil John Rhodes has been removed from its prime location at South Africa's University of Cape Town, UCT. The statue sat perched on his plinth for 81 years overlooking the greater Cape Town area. Its removal came following an intense month-long campaign by university students calling for transformation of the university. The UCT Council voted overwhelmingly to remove the statue to a safe place while Heritage Western Cape makes a, dis- a final decision on its fate. Susandangwala reports. Although the Roads Must Fall campaigners have maintained that the statue was but a physical representation of broader transformational issues at the institution, there were cheers of jubilation from the thousands of students, staff and alumni as the contentious structure was finally removed. I'm happy. That's all I can say. I'm happy because it's a start to many discussions. Finally, justice is served. Roads has fallen and we're moving forward from institutional racism. It basically goes beyond um, this moment right now because as students I feel that I'm kind of mandated now to take this forward. I thought we said roads must fall. That wasn't fall, that was removal. The campaign has seen support from as far afield as Yale and Oxford University. 
As the statue was brought down, students from tertiary institutions around Cape Town came out in their numbers to voice their support. Without this whole thing happening, we wouldn't have, be having the discussions of transformation. And I wish that we can bring it to Stellenbosch because transformation is needed in Stellenbosch. Held up by heavy-duty green pieces of material, the statue, which was defaced on a previous occasion with paint and graffiti, was carefully placed on a truck and whisked away to an undisclosed location for safekeeping. The moment happened a month to the day when a dozen students first protested at its base, demanding it be removed. During that protest, the student, Kumani Makwele, threw human waste at the structure, setting off a nationwide conversation around frustrations emanating from the slow pace of transformation at institutions of high learning. As Rose was brought down, Makwele watched on with a sense of satisfaction, seeing that the issues he and the rest of the Rhodes Must Fall campaigners had raised had finally been heeded. It's about bringing the, the dignity of black people um, and, of course, the shame of black people. Uh, black people are living in, in, in squatter camps, in, in concentration camps in their own country. We had to bring our, our pain in front. UCT Vice-Chancellor Dr. Max Price says it was a momentous occasion which has sparked off ongoing engagements between students and management. What I was really pleased about uh, was that the diversity of students were unified in their view. We started off with a very divided campus about the issue and what we managed to do over the month is through he- having people hear the arguments, read the articles, as many people came around to the view that, that I started with, that the executive started with, which was that the statue should go and that it didn't belong here. The pain of a single black student and the pain of millions of black South Africans has now culminated into the movement known as Roads Must Fall. In an earlier address, students associated with the Roads Must Fall movement said their next course of action in advancing the transformation agenda will include compelling the university to do away with labor brokers as well as to fast-track the appointment of black academics. They say they will continue to use radical means to make sure they achieve their objectives. As far as the statue is concerned, it is now up to Heritage Western Cape to decide on the way forward and the university can expect to hear from the entity within 90 days. The University of Cape Town says it will now engage in a public participation process to help determine the statue's final resting place. I am Sisanda Nguala in Cape Town. Now our question to you today is do you think all statues of colonial figures should be removed? Give us your thoughts on email at info at channelafrica.co.za Send us an SMS to plus 2782-332-5905 or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa 1. Do you think all statues of colonial figures should be removed? Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, réveille-toi. Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rises. Le soleil est levé. Weya, wema. What's in the happen, Africa? Africa, Dumelang, Sanbonani. Africa, Mulishani, Mulibwanji. Africa, Enyomi, Kilonshele. Africa, Ndinkim, Kinkunume. What's in the happen, Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from, we are one people. 
Channel Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Let's go back in time to today in 1993. South African Communist Party Secretary General Chris Tembisile Hani was shot and killed in the driveway of his Boxburg home. Soon after, Janusz Walus, a Polish immigrant, was arrested in connection with the murder. He was linked to co-conspirator Clive Darby Lewis, a Conservative Party MP, and his wife Gay. Let's listen to the late Krasani. I'm very optimistic, and my optimism is not based on uh, what negotiations, uh, on what is happening to negotiations. But my optimism is based on the mood of the people on the ground. Their confidence, their militancy, and their impatience with apartheid. I think our people have decided that we are going to dismantle apartheid. And I think that is what causes optimism. Optimism is based on the fighting militants of the people. I think for me it's, uh, it's really material what the Clark does ultimately. The people will have a democratic South Africa. And I think no armed force or whatever can stop this process. I think we've reached a situation in South Africa where we are no longer prepared to live under apartheid. And we are ready to make whatever sacrifice to get that democratic South Africa. That was South African Communist Party Secretary General Chris Hani, who was shot dead on this day in 1993. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Poverty reduction, inequality and unemployment are expected to take a centre stage as the 14th session of the Africa-Nordic Foreign Minister's Dialogue enters its second and final day in South Africa's Limpopo province. The forum, which was established in the year 2000, is aimed at establishing new perspectives for the friendship cooperation and solidarity that exists between various African countries and the Nordic countries. Senior political journalist Amos Pajo reports. Addressing the conference yesterday, South Africa's International Relations Minister Maitenkwana Mashabani challenged the Nordic countries, which include Denmark, Finland, Ireland, Norway and Sweden, to be frank about any perceived economic growth challenge on the continent. The Nordic countries has stood with us in solidarity over many years. So we are calling upon you now to also say that here is another opportunity for a win-win situation. If there are things that we think we're doing which would not necessarily be in the interest of what we would want to achieve, this is the place where we should put gloves off and engage. Mashaban was, however, quick to point that Africa continues to be confronted by challenges of poverty, 
under development diseases and conflict she however says plans are in place to turn the situation around recognizing this africa has been hard at work defining the vision and strategy including the core actions that will guide development over the coming years culminating in what we now know as agenda 2063 we have dedicated the continent the african continent to be to the implementation of the 50 year people oriented uh, development plan of the africa we want by 2063 mashawane says although official donor assistance remains important africa is refocusing assistance away from traditional donor recipient relationships to meaningful and mutually beneficial partnerships Africa is determined to eradicate poverty through uh, strategies of inclusive growth which is what we focused on last year we focused on in in our interaction in Finland we focused on inclusive growth and the nordic model of development now we are talking here of inclusive growth that will be helping us to create jobs grow our economies increase uh, agricultural production investments in science and technology research innovation uh, provision of basic services which we are still grappling with but largely also beneficiation of our mineral resources and industrialization on our continent african countries which are taking part in this forum include benin botswana ghana lesotho Mali, Mozambique, Nigeria, Senegal, Tanzania and South Africa. Although the dialogue does not take binding resolutions, it's crucial to us discussing common positions on political matters. Sweden, which founded the forum, also hopes to score a few political gains on the sidelines of the meeting. The Swedish Foreign Affairs Minister Margot Wallström explains. Well, uh, since we are a candidate country for for the Security Council uh, for 2017-2018, of course, we are hoping that we will get uh, support for from uh, from African countries, and we will offer mutual support uh, for to African countries in some cases uh, where they are candidates. Uh, but the the most important thing is the agenda and what we really want to use it for, and uh, of course to see. Uh, 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 reformed uh, security council is the most important to see africa represented in the security council that is uh, also our dream and our goal so we are a critical friend of the un but uh, it has to be reformed and uh, in particular bringing on board africa More calls have been made for religious tolerance in Africa and an end to xenophobic attacks against foreign nationals in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province. Premier Senzom Tkunu joined more than 60 religious groups in the city of Durban in a prayer of solidarity against extremist attacks and the recent brutal killing of almost 150 Kenyan students by the Al-Shabaab militant group. Mkunu was accompanied by some members of his cabinet and representatives from the Zulu royal family. Nonjabulom Dunwa reports. God bless the church. God bless Africa. 
songs denouncing the Al-Shabaab group and the ongoing xenophobic attacks in the country rang out as concerned religious groups gathered in Durban. More than a hundred South Africans joined in a peaceful march calling for peace and unity in Africa. Prayer was the order of the day. Those affected law in Kenya, those affected law in some parts of the Middle East, those affected also here in South Africa through xenophobic attacks. I pray that you will comfort them. I pray that you will bless them. I pray that your spirit will be with them. Organizer of the match, Dr. Paul Lachman, said all religious groups from around the world should unite against the brutal killings of Christians. He says individuals should be given a chance to practice their religion of choice. I'm concerned that we as a church in South Africa need to pay solidarity to our brothers and sisters in Kenya because they were targeted because they could not quote the Quran and they were Christians and it's time the church stood up and said, we are one as the sons and the daughters of the soil of Africa. Provincial Premier Sensom Tunu called for religious tolerance in Africa. He also condemned the ongoing xenophobic attacks against foreign nationals in the province. We condemn all these forms of violence. We condemn every thinking that is held by those who are perpetrators of violence in this particular form, wherever they are found, representing whatever feeling and whatever grouping in the world. We are saying they are not supposed to be amongst us. They are not supposed to be amongst us in Africa, in the Americas, in Europe, wherever. King Goodwill's Tini has blamed the media for the ongoing attacks in Guasulu Natal, reading from a statement issued by the king. A representative from the royal family, Prince Tulan Zulu, said the king had been quoted out of context by some media houses. It's been reported that the king has said that foreign nationals who are in the country illegally should leave. Prince Zulu read the king's statement during the march. I'm here standing at the instruction of His Majesty who sent me today. So I'm going to read the statement that he sent. There is no justification for murder, bloating and virtual attacks. So those who commit crime, they should face the full might of the law. Some sectors of media elected to wrong perception deliberately. We are forced to conclude that the aim was not to, de- to educate readers or citizens. Rather, it was to sell newspapers. A mere suggestion that people who were looting were doing that under the king's instruction is disingenuous. Such greed, unfortunately, has created a dangerous situation. Prince Zulu reiterated that the king condemned these ongoing attacks in the province. That report by Nonjabulum Mdungwa in Durban. It is 8.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Onelin Zinti. An Egyptian court has sentenced a former provincial governor to four years in jail. The highest government official tried under the protest law passed a few months after Musi's overthrow. As talks between Libya's rivals, factions drag on hopes of a political deal lessen and the United States government determines to continue supporting the government of Zambia in its efforts to promote health care initiatives in the country. Channel Africa News. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Thank you, Onele. The wheels of a new election cycle are slowing, be- slowly beginning to turn in the United States as candidates begin to announce their campaigns for the White House in 2016. But the most anticipated declaration will likely come from former First Lady, Senator, Secretary of State and failed 2008 Democratic candidate Hillary Rodman Rodham Clinton in a matter of days. She has already been touted as a shoe-in candidate for the Democratic nomination, much as her inevitably was extolled when she launched her first bid in nomination in 2007. Our U.S. correspondent, Sean Bryce Peace, looks at what can be expected from Hillary Clinton if or when she launches her second bid for the White House. Always aim high, work hard, and care deeply about what you believe in. And when you stumble, keep faith. And when you're knocked down, get right back up and never listen to anyone who says you can't or shouldn't go on. This was Mrs. Clinton conceding after a hard-fought but failed campaign against future President Barack Obama. She would back him all the way to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, including becoming his first-term Secretary of State. Word about town is that she is indeed ready to get back up and run again. She's been doing it for, you know, 20 years, right? I mean, I think this has been the plan for a very long time, and I don't think she's someone who gives up easily. And I think she's making a considered calculation that she has as good a chance as anyone, um, and that, you know, she can't afford to wait any longer, I don't think. Professor Jessica Blatt of Marymount Manhattan College is an expert in American political thought, particularly how gender, race and class interact with public policy, and believes Clinton will have to do a few things differently second time around. She got criticized for having it be all about her, right? I think she stressed the sort of, you know, the historic nature of her campaign, the sense of inevitability. I think there was a sense of inevitability last time. I think that hurt her. I think she wants to avoid that, which is going to be hard because she doesn't really have a challenger. Uh, but, um, you know, I think she wants to make the impression that it's about the voters, right? It's about what she can do for Americans and not about, uh, you know, sort of her trajectory and her historic campaign. And that report by Show and Bryce Peace. It is 8.34 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. South Africa's Minister of Science and Technology, Naledi Pando, has launched a new clean room facility at the Mintech Nanotechnology Innovation Center in Johannesburg in a bid to boost disease control in the country. The multi-million dollar clean room, a facility with a low level of pollutants such as dust, airborne microbes and aerosol particles will be used for the manufacture of devices for the fast diagnosis of illnesses such as malaria. Minister Pandor joins us on the line to discuss this further. Good morning, Minister, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Uh, Good morning, Lulu. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity. Morning to your listeners as well. Now, Minister, why is it necessary for South Africa to have a clean room, and is it the first of its kind in the country? This uh, facility is the first of its kind on the African continent. Uh, 
we have uh, a world-class facility. We're very thrilled uh, that we have it. Uh, it's a, an expensive facility, but it puts us in place to participate in a growing a field of research in nanotechnology. And we think uh, our researchers, uh, as well as our engineers, will really benefit from having such a facility available to them. Now, with regards to um, achievements, what it aims to achieve, the aims and objectives, are there any plans to collaborate, um, especially being the first of its kind on the African continent and working with already developed countries where there are facilities like these? Well, certainly we already Unfortunately, we seem to be getting cut off there. The minister is driving at the moment. We will try and get her back on the line as soon as possible. Moving on to our next story. South Africa has not conducted enough studies on the medicinal benefits of cannabis to support the legislation of the drug. This was revealed by medical professor Solomon Rataimane at the country's social development department's roundtable on whether marijuana should be legalized for medicinal use. The two-day forum, which concludes today, is being held in Benoni, east of Johannesburg. Nomabolani reports. The Social Development Department, together with the Central Drug Authority, are hosting a roundtable discussion with various stakeholders on the use of cannabis in South Africa. The medical fraternity, religious leaders and lobby groups made their cases on whether marijuana should be legalized and its usage regulated. Deputy Minister Hendrietta Bokhupa-Nezulu says there's an increasing demand for government to make marijuana legal to assist terminally ill patients. She says that these discussions will assist them address this issue even in Parliament. As a government that respects uh, democratic processes, we don't want to sit in cabinet and... We will try and get back to the story as uh, we have Minister Pando back on the line. Minister, we lost you there for a few minutes, but uh, I'm glad that we are able to get you back on the line. As I was asking, are there plans to form any collaborations in order for the clean room to achieve its intended aims and objectives, especially as it is the first of its kind on the African continent? Unfortunately, that line has gone off for us. Um, We will try and get back to the story, if not today, um, one of the shows later in the day or next week sometime. Um, Back on the cannabis story, we will, uh, South Africa has not conducted enough studies on the medicinal benefits of cannabis to support the legalization of the drug. This was revealed by medical professor Solomon Radaimane at the country's social development department's roundtable on whether marijuana should be legalized for medicinal use. The two-day forum, which concludes today, is being held in Benoni, east of Johannesburg. Nomabulani reports. The Social Development Department, together with the Central Drug Authority, are hosting a roundtable discussion with various stakeholders on the use of cannabis in South Africa. The medical fraternity, religious leaders and lobby groups made their cases on whether marijuana should be legalized and its usage regulated. Deputy Minister Hendrietta Bokhupa-Nezulu says there's an increasing demand 
for government to make marijuana legal to assist terminally ill patients. She says these discussions will assist them address this issue even in Parliament. There's a government that respects uh, democratic processes. We don't want to sit in cabinet and say it's not going to be uh, used for medicinal, how it will be used. We want to take the nation with us. And it is important for us to do that because if we don't take a nation such as South Africa with us, yes, we can use our majority as the African National Congress. We'll get it through, definitely. But we think when you invest time and energy in awarding people an opportunity to have their say, it actually empowers the nation. The late Inkatsa Freedom Party MP Mario Ambrosini had been pushing for the legalization of cannabis for medicinal purposes. Ambrosini, who had lung cancer, died last year after tabling a bill advocating for the use of cannabis. The Medical Innovation Bill, which was gazetted in February 2014, states amongst other points that the purpose of it is to legalize and regulate the use of cannabinoids for medical purposes and for beneficial industrial uses. Medical professor from the Sifako, Mahato Health Sciences University, Solomon Raitamani, says the, says the limited research South Africa has conducted shows that cannabis acts as a pain reliever when used in small dosages. He's added that there are also negative effects. Medically, people have talked about the ease of pain. Uh, for instance, stopping the nausea associated to chemotherapy in cancer treatment. Uh, it also improves appetite in those people who have lost appetite. There isn't a lot of research on these areas yet, though. Some researchers are that medical marijuana may cut down seizures in people with epilepsy. These are difficult to control seizures, including seizures in children. The long-term side effects would include regular smokers um, having respiratory problems such as a daily cough and a higher risk of lung infections. Studies also link routine use to mental illness, depression, anxiety, less motivation and suicidal thoughts among young people. Psychologist and advocate for medicinal cannabis, Quentin Ferreira, says most of the time the argument on the legislation for cannabis focuses more on the harmful effects. He says there isn't a balanced discussion on the benefits it can provide terminally or chronically ill patients. Ferreira says cannabis is very accessible to most people in the country and what government should do is focus on regulating usage. Really we need more research into how can we make cannabis use safer. And can we use legislation to change the socioeconomic context in which people use cannabis? Because right now, it's out there, it's not going away, it's unregulated. Every little kid at whatever school in the country can get hold of it. I'm not saying regulation will stop that completely, but it will go some way, like alcohol, preventing young people from getting hold of it to some extent. And that's the kind of research I'm talking about, into policy of making it socioeconomically and biologically safer for people. The roundtable will continue on Friday with input from other stakeholders. I'm Noma Bolani in Johannesburg. South African jazz music legend and anti-apartheid activist Brahuma Sekela has been awarded an honorary doctorate in music by Rhodes University. The seasoned jazz musician was honored for his role in the struggle for liberation in South Africa through his music. Exiled for decades during apartheid, he established himself in the USA and UK, also spending time in various African countries. Tutongobeni compiled this report. Dimela, si hamba andama.
Born on the 4th of April in 1939, Masikela is a trumpeter, composer and singer who has traveled the world and over performing his music. The jazz maestro is without a doubt one of South Africa's most successful artists and his influence on world music has been nothing short of phenomenal. Rhodes University's motto is truth, virtue and strength and Masikela's life as a musician and an artist is testimony of triumph over turmoil and of truth over lies. From the depths of domestic violence of a terrified young boy witnessing his father beat up his mother through the many hardships and joys of life. Masegela has always been truthful. Masegela has been a stalwart of the struggle to inform the public both in South Africa and Africa of the effects of AIDS through musical performances and membership of various HIV AIDS campaign bodies. Spokesperson at Rose University, Zamukolo Matiwana, explains. The university honorable grade recognizes individuals who have shown leadership and made contributions to various sectors in society. We are happy and proud that we're going to honor, you know, today's master of Brahim Masekela, you know, for his contribution to South African music and its place in the world. The university says awarding Masekela an honorary doctorate recognizes both his insatiable contribution to South African music and its place in the world. It also contributes significantly to the vision of making International Library of African Music at Rhodes, a living monument to African musical accomplishment of which Masekela is one of the most formidable examples. Matiwana elaborates. Through his music, you know, Yumasekala has been thinking about the struggles of ordinary people, you know, in their movement between town and the country. You know, if you think about the song, uh, Stimela, you know, but not only that, Yumasekala has been involved as well, you know, in various campaigns such as HIV AIDS, you know, one campaign as well. So through his leadership in those campaigns and then through his music as well, that's why you're going to honor him. In 2010, South African President Jacob Zuma honored him with the highest order in South Africa, the Order of Igamanga, and 2011 saw Masegela receive a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Womox World Music Expo in Copenhagen. The U.S. Virgin Islands proclaimed Hugh Masegela Day in March 2011. Not long after, Hugh joined U2 on stage during the Johannesburg League of their 360 World Tour. U2 frontman Bo described meeting and playing with you as one of the highlights of his career. Matiwana says Masigela is one of the country's best experts. He's one of our greatest, you know, music export, if you understand what I mean. And that report by Tutungubeni, it is 8.45 Central African, rather 8.46 Central African time. And you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Coming up next, our economics update. Zambia's cabinet will table changes to mining royalties after the finance and mines ministers proposed the amendments. 
Zambian President Edgar Lungu last month decided the finance and mining ministers to change royalties on mining firms by 8th April, saying the copper producer could consider temporarily reverting to the tax regime in 2014. The decision to increase royalties in January for open pit mines to 20% from 6% and those for underground mines to 8% from 6% has rattled the foreign mining firms in Africa's second largest copper producer. Unions are also worried that jobs could be lost. Meanwhile, the Zambia Chamber of Commerce and Industry says that the government's policy inconsistencies could undermine the country's economic growth. ZACCI President Jeffrey Sakulanda says the Finance Minister Alexandra Chikwanda holds the key to calming business concerns. Following a consultative mission to Zambia last month by an international monetary fund delegation, the organization warned of a continued guacha depreciation. South Africa's Mineral Resources Minister Nwakura Makodi has criticized mining communities of constantly protesting against mines for hiring outsiders. Ramatodi was interacting with mining communities around post Mersburg in the Northern Cape Province. He says mines have the right to employ any person from anywhere around the country according to their skills. Where there is no capacity, it must come from elsewhere. So, so, and we have to be very clear about that, that if there is no capacity in a locality, we bring in capacity. And no one should quarrel with that capacity. Otherwise, operations stop. So let's be clear about those things and put them out of the window. Because I don't want to encourage this tendency of regionalism, which becomes almost a phobia. Production in one of South Africa's key sectors has improved. Data released by Statistics South Africa shows that mining production for the month of February went up by 7.5% year-on-year. The sector is still recovering from last year's five-month-long strike on the platinum belt. Murafet Dabani has the details. Although figures show that production in the mining sector is improving, it is slightly above levels seen before last year's strike by the Association of Mine Workers and Construction Union, AMCU, in the platinum industry. Jean-Pierre Blanche, survey statistician, attributes the improvement to volume growth in the platinum group metals, amongst others. The World Bank's development arm plans to invest between $1.2 billion and $2 billion in Egypt over the next four years, including around the Suez Canal. The IFCC's director of Middle East and North Africa, Moyet Markluf, says the International Finance Corporation is looking at ports and logistics projects. The government is building a second waterway to accelerate trade flows through the canal, already one of Egypt's major sources of foreign currency. IFC plans to contribute between $3 million and $5 million per year. Indicators at this hour. The voice of the African Renaissance, it's Channel Africa. We're the gateway into your African continent. we live from Johannesburg. The US dollar trades at 11.92 South African Rand. 9.66 Sibutsona Pula. 7.44 in Zambia. 067 British pound 91 euro gold 1195 dollars platinum 1157 dollars an ounce brand crude oil 56 dollars 77 cents a barrel that's an economic update for channel africa economic news my name is tabiso lohoku
sports update up next with Msibudi Makura. Thanks, Lulu. Good morning, sports fans. And starting off with football news, South Africa will face off with Botswana in the return leg of the All-Africa Games qualifiers on Saturday afternoon at the Dobsonville Stadium, south of Johannesburg. Bayana Bayana won the first leg 1-0 in Khabarone two weeks ago and will be looking to continue their dominance over their zebras. It was Sana Molo's goal, which ensured the advantage for the South Africans going into the second leg. Molo says they are expecting their opponents to come hard at them. We actually working very hard because we went to Botswana and it was very hard for us um, seeing that we only managed to score one goal. The good news is that we got the three points and now that we'll be playing at home, we expecting Botswana to come in full force and give us a challenge, give us a tough time. We know it's not going to be an easy one, but we're working hard and we're very confident that come Saturday we'll do well and we'll try to create as many chances as we can and be able to convert as many goals as we can. Meanwhile, Bayana Bayana midfielder Amanda Zamini says they are under pressure to perform much better at home. I feel that we are a lot under pressure now being at home and uh, I think also understanding the importance of the match um, that puts us in a very tight spot because now we have to rope in the good results. We have no doubt that we'll do that but playing our normal game as we've been playing and trying to get back on our feet, it's going to take a little bit of time but now this is a crucial match where we need to qualify and um, there's no other way of doing that. We need to score more goals, we need to stamp our authority and we just need to play according to the coach's instructions. Meanwhile, Owen Dagama, the head coach of the South African under-23 men's team, says his boys are ready to turn that 2-0 deficit against their East African counterpart Sudan in the return leg of their All-Africa game qualifiers. South Africa will tackle, will tackle Sudan also at the Dobsonville Stadium south of Johannesburg on Saturday afternoon. Dagama says an early goal against their rivals will help them get back into the game. When I look at, 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 at the performances at training here, I think we've got a very... 2-0, we must always remember, 2-0 is a very dangerous score. If you get one, there's a big, you know, you immediately get them on, on, on a back foot. And I was happy that we could at least keep it to that. Nigeria's Flying Eagles captain Musa Mohammed has vanished from the Nigerian under-23 camp in Abuja and has travelled abroad for trials without head coach Samson Sase's permission. Mohammed left the camp last week Friday after he took permission from the coach with the excuse that he was going to Lagos to collect his international passport from the German embassy. But the 18-year-old has travelled abroad for trials and is yet to make any contact with the team since he left on Friday. Mohammed will not take part in the All-Africa Games qualifier against Zambia this weekend in Lusaka, which the Dream Team must win or play out to a scoreless draw to guarantee a place at the All-Africa Games tournament. On to local football news, Kazi Chiefs emerged 1-0 victors over Amazulu in their top versus bottom clash in Bologwane on Thursday night. Man of the match, Bernard Parker, got the goal for the Soweto Giants, who then had goalkeeper Itumilengune sent off late at the Peter Mugaba Stadium for time-wasting. The result saw Chiefs extend their lead at the top of the APSA Premiership to 10 points with five games left at the season, while Amazulu remained two points behind fellow strugglers Morocco Swallows as well as as Free State Stars. 
And finally, Norwich Tennis News, former world number one, Mikael Sheffers from the Netherlands, crushed South Africa's hopes with a straight-set victory over Evans Mariba in the second round of the men's singles at the airport's company South Africa, Gauteng Open in Benoni on Thursday. Mariba, the country's number one ranked player, bowed out to fifth to the fifth seed, 7-6-6-4, on a day when the seeds dominated events at the Gauteng East Center, Tennis Center. With Maripa out of the race for glory, it will be up to 2013 Airports Company South Africa Gauteng Open champions Khotato Monjane and Lucas Setole to fly the flag for South Africa. Monjane Belli had time to break a sweat to win her 52-minute match against fellow South African Tando Sajwayo 6-1-6 love. And the Quads division world number one David Wagner will go head-to-head with Greg Hattersrock, the third seed in an All-American semi-final. Meanwhile, Lucas Sitola, the second seed, scored a straight-set victory over compatriot Queen Tlapo, 6-love, six 6-love, six to set up a clash with fourth seed Anthony Correll from Great Britain. Well, those are your sports news at the Sour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at this hour. Central African Republic warring factions sign a peace deal. And Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe wraps up his visit to South Africa. It wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for today and this week. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuto Ramagaza and Selina Ndobong, technical producer Charles Moyo and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa is Asheru, featuring WHP with a track titled So Amazing.
Get down, sa palama, when I want cacata. Oh, no. 